Hello and welcome. My name is Malcolm Evans, and I'm Professor of Public International Law at the University of Bristol. I'm also co-director of its Human Rights Implementation Centre, and I'm also the former chair of the United Nations Subcommittee on the Prevention of Torture. This is Guantanamo Bay, Closing the Door. It is episode four of a short series of podcasts calling for the closure of Guantanamo Bay detention camp. Guantanamo Bay was opened in 2002. It was first announced that the camp would close in 2009, but it didn't. In 2018, indeed, an order was made to keep it open indefinitely. In 2021, however, the intention to close was once again announced, but that intention is yet to be realized. Mohamedou was a Mauritanian citizen who was detained at Guantanamo for 14 years without charge. Nancy Hollander, an internationally renowned criminal defense lawyer, represented him across much of that time. In this podcast, Nancy and I will talk about issues arising from Guantanamo Bay, its continued existence, the prospects for its closure, and what can be done, not only in relation to Guantanamo, but more generally, to try to ensure people in detention are not subject to torture and ill-treatment. Nancy, if I can turn to you, could I ask, first of all, a question that seems to have been asked many times, but we still do not seem to have a wholly satisfactory answer. Why has Guantanamo Bay not yet been closed, despite all the announcements that have been made that it will be, and, of course, the opprobrium which now attaches to the treatment of people who have been held there? I appreciate that question. It's difficult to answer because there are so many reasons why Guantanamo has not closed. President Obama announced that he would close it within a year. He did not do that. And as I've said in the previous podcast, his Justice Department appealed the cases that the detainees were winning in the U.S. District Court in Washington when they filed petitions for writs of habeas corpus. And then many of the detainees left were from Yemen. Other countries had, had managed to get their people out. Many of them still there were Yemeni. And during Obama's reign as president, a Nigerian man flying over Detroit, Michigan, tried to set his underwear on fire. He was captured and it turned out that he had been trained to do this and was trying to blow up himself in the plane by a Yemeni man who, interestingly, was raised for a good part of his life in Las Cruces, New Mexico. So once they determined that it was a Yemeni who had trained him, President Obama said, none of the Yemenis go home. And they were stuck there. So that stopped the process for those people. Obama started something called the Periodic Review Committee. He started it, in, I think, in 2011. It didn't get funded till 2013. 
Muhammadu went before it in 2015 and was released. That's not a court. It's six intelligence agencies who determine whether the person is still a significant threat to the U.S. At this point, half of the people, the 37 now who remain, have been cleared for release and have not gone home. Well, then we had President Trump, so we didn't have any action there, except one man who had already entered into a plea, El Darby, and who's back home in Yemen or Saudi, I'm not sure which. Then Biden, President Biden said the same thing, we're going to close Guantanamo. But it requires political will. It requires using the your political position and being willing to use it to close Guantanamo. And that has not been there because there's resistance to closing it from, I would say, just about all of the Republican Party and some Democrats. So out of fear and not wanting to not keep the Democrats in power, it all becomes a matter of power at the end. It has not been closed. He has finally just begun setting up something in the State Department, an envoy who can begin to look at the prisoners who have been cleared for release and try to find homes for them. But even when they find homes or send them home, as for example, in Mohamedou's case, he was released to Mauritania, his home, but obviously a deal was made with Mauritania not to give him a passport. So he didn't get one for three years. And on the day of his third year anniversary, the president of the country called him in and handed him a passport and said he was sorry, but the U.S. had not permitted him to have a passport before that. The U.S. holds so much power over all these countries that it's difficult, but it can be done. I believe Guantanamo can be closed. All the people who have been cleared for release, they can find homes. The others, we don't have anything called forever prisoners in the United States, absurd. They have to get out. And the ones who are left, who have actual charges, their cases have to be resolved in some way that is fair and provides due process. It can happen. You're familiar with this in other countries. What is the relationship of other countries to what the U.S. has done? And of course, what's supposed to happen? Well, I have to say, one of the one of the things that I've always found difficult in the time that I was working with, with the UN on these issues, I suppose, well, a number of things. You know, first of all, there was nothing that we could do directly in relation to the US itself with the committee of which I was a member, because the optional protocol to the torture convention is an international treaty. It only binds those states which have ratified the treaty. And the United States has never become a party to the optional protocol. So there was nothing that we ourselves could do, which is a shame because the powers that we had as a committee were to go to any of the countries who were a party to our, to our treaty, to go to any place where we considered that people were being detained and at risk of torture in order to see what was happening, to speak to them and then to make recommendations to the state about what should be done to reduce the risk of torture. Now, certainly some other organs within the United Nations, 
raised the issue of Guantanamo, the UN Special Rapporteur on Torture attempted to to visit, but I think there were difficulties with the access and so on. But the beauty of the committee of which I was a chair is that its powers of access were set down in law, and so once you became a party to it, you could go anywhere. And about half the countries in the world had signed up to this, and it's just such a great shame that the US, not one of them, I wouldn't mind asking you, Nancy, whether you think that there's any chance that the United States one day might agree to participate in such a, an instrument that would allow international monitors access to all its places of detention as of right, whenever they wish. We certainly find that is a, a very powerful tool to try to make sure that people are not ill-treated in countries where that is possible. I doubt that the U.S would allow any international overseers into its prisons. It's hard enough for lawyers to find out what's happening in our own cases. And of course, the fact that the U.S. has not joined the International Criminal Court, I doubt that it will, because the U.S. is, is afraid of what would be found in its prisons. I mean, we still have people locked up in solitary confinement for years and years, which is itself torture. I believe the active torture in Guantanamo has ended. What happened to Mohamedou in what we call the torture time, 2004, before we met him. But the U.S. is not going to allow it. It never has. And I fear that it won't. I have to say it's certainly the case that a number of countries which have joined the system I describe when we've attempted to visit them have shall we say, been rather shocked and surprised at what it was that they had committed themselves to for the very reasons that you give. We obviously always try to do, did do what was necessary to, to, to gain the access to which we were entitled. But I think one of the other problems from an international position that we've run into is that when one raises these issues with many other countries, the first thing they do is turn around and say, well, what about Guantanamo Bay? as if somehow the fact that this has taken place and that there is this history of torture and ill-treatment at Guantanamo and, of course, at other sites, somehow, somehow excuses them from being engaging in torture and ill-treatment in their own places of detention. And I do think that one of the things that concerns me from a more global perspective is that the very many terrible things that do take place in many prisons, police stations, detention centres, and the like around the world, somehow have got, shall we say, forgotten or left behind because of the ability to point towards Guantanamo, as if somehow the fact that this is done by the United States legitimates, or which of course it never can, what takes place in other parts of the world. And so I think there has become a, a danger of it becoming something of a shield behind which other states have been able to hide in order to justify their own ill-treatment of detainees. I think one of the things that, you know, I, I'm a lawyer, you're a lawyer, um, and it really feeds into this point too, is whether at times, you know, do you think people expect too much of, lawyers obviously must do what they can, but there are more than, it takes more than lawyers to solve some of these problems. At the end of the day, lawyers are often seen as people who are brought in to put things right that have gone wrong. But what about trying to stop things going wrong in the first place? Do you think 
there are more more things that more people could or should be doing and empowered to do to try to make sure that things like this don't happen, that Guantanamo Bays are never constructed again, and there's greater transparency and honesty about the ill treatment that takes place in places of detention. Malcolm, I do think that people assume that the law solves everything. And frequently I have to say to people, and I'm sure you do, the law is not omnipotent. It can't solve every problem. It can only do a limited amount, which is not to say that lawyers couldn't, shouldn't continue to struggle and seek what I call miracles just because you've got to keep trying everything. But there's a lot that people can do. In the U.S., where we have representation in Congress, people need to be getting to their Congress people and telling them you have to vote to close Guantanamo. Ten, I believe it was ten, I could have the number wrong, Congress people wrote to President Biden and said, we have to close this. This is giving other countries the right to do this. It is something that could happen to our service people in other places because they'll say, well, it happens in the U.S. Everyone should be out there in one way or another, writing to Congress people, talking about it, telling people that it still exists so that they understand that everyone has to play a role in making sure these things don't continue to happen around the world. I think one of the things that that struck me, I know you've said before that when you first were introduced to Mohamedou, you know, he threw his arms open and said, my lawyer, because say that's, that's wonderful. But I suppose one of the things that's troubled me in much of the work that I've done around the world is that it's terrible to have to say this, but I'm afraid it's often the case, is that not all lawyers can be trusted, not all doctors can be trusted, you know, not all judges can be trusted to do the right thing in these situations. Sometimes they're under terrible pressures themselves and don't do the right thing and act as professionally as they should when they have the opportunity to do so. How important is is it that we really try to build effective systems, structures, rules of law, support those who try to do the right thing if we are trying to prevent torture and ill-treatment from taking place? It is important. And when people say to me, as they sometimes do, well, your country does it. Uh, why are you here telling us anything about torture? And my answer is usually we have to start somewhere. And I, I can't solve what happened earlier, but we can all work together to make sure it doesn't happen again in the U.S. and anywhere else. And in whatever form you can do in your country, for lawyers, honesty and ethics are important. And I often go back to Colonel Couch, who was a prosecutor. There were about five or six other prosecutors, by the way, who quit Guantanamo and said, we're going to have nothing to do with this. That's a brave and difficult thing for someone to do who's in that position, but something that has to happen. People have to stand up their government, and it's hard. It's difficult, but we have to support people we as lawyers have to support people who do that, even people on the other side who say, I can't do this. We have to make sure those people are protected. It's an interesting one, isn't it? And I absolutely relate to, to what you say. One of the things that struck me in many of the places of detention that I visited around the world is just how is it 
that, you know, people who, they're not monsters. They're often just people trying to do their jobs in their, their normal walks of life. It's what they're there to do can become so insensitized to what's going on around them that they just don't recognize that what they are seeing and indeed what they're becoming a participant in is is wrong and needs to be challenged. And the costs of that challenge can be you know, incredibly high. What do you think can be done to try to empower that very thing that you describe to support people when they stand up in these difficult situations? And if you like, recognize the struggles that they actually have in calling out these practices. I believe that we, as or certainly my group as defense lawyers, have to stand up with them and say, maybe they did the wrong things before, said the wrong things, but they're standing up now. If they need uh, defense, if they need assistance, we go to them. I have learned, interestingly, a lot about the military through the course of my work in Guantanamo. I'd never been around the military before. I thought they were just all bad people who went to war. Well, they're terrific lawyers, terrific defense lawyers. I have a naval captain now in charge of my other case. A Navy captain is just below an admiral in that system. And we had another one who once said to me, I have the best of all jobs. I'm in the Navy and I can fight against the Navy. And that's a case where 17 naval sailors were killed in that case. And yet they are really working hard on the defense. Now, in Mohamedou's case, because we never had a charge, we never had any military lawyers. But because I thought he might be charged at one point, I contacted one lawyer who was working on one of the other cases. And I said to Mohamedou, if you ever see him going to the other guy, just know that you can talk to him and he will relate what you say to me and you can trust him. And if you ever get charged, I want him to be the lawyer we work with. And I found in another case I had that the military lawyers fought hard for their clients, even though their clients were accused of doing things contrary to the military. And I have to say, we have to always give these people a shout out and support them. But individuals have to take a part. There are people who have. In my country, in your country, there are people who've really stepped up trying to get Guantanamo closed. Journalists who have worked on getting it closed. But isn't that part of it? It's seeing past the stereotypes, isn't it? The number of times when I've been in prisons or other places of detention and I've wanted to speak to detainees and the guards or the security people have come up to me and said, well, you can't talk to them. They're just too dangerous. You mustn't go anywhere near them. And you think, really? You know, if you see people as a threat, then quite often they become a threat. If you see people as, shall we say, bad people, well, that's the way that you begin to see them. What you seem to be describing is needing to be a little bit more open to look past the stereotypes that we have of people in order to understand a little bit more about the realities that they're trying to achieve, who they are, what they're trying to do, in order to try to make it easier both to call out bad practice, but also to understand what the reality is that people are actually facing, to listen to people and try to understand it from a more human perspective on both sides of those equations. 
I absolutely agree with you. And I, I think two really good examples come out of Mohamedou's case. One is Colonel Couch. The other is Steve Wood, who was his guard in 2005 and who was told he's very dangerous, be careful. And he describes how he learned that wasn't true and how he became a close friend of Mohamedou's. As I said, Lawrence Topham at The Guardian did a beautiful documentary of the two of them. It's called My Brother's Keeper, and it's on YouTube. It's easy to find, and it's an example of what you're talking about, of someone who, and he has gone back to other soldiers who were working with him and said, we were wrong. We were just wrong, and those people need to be supported. It's really all about seeing the human in each other, isn't it? It is. It is. We're all one people on this planet. You and I have won the lottery of birth that we were born in the countries we were. Other people didn't have that advantage. But we're all humans. We're all one race. We're all one people. And the more we see that that's true, the better we'll get along. I know that that sounds like it's a very easy answer. And of course it isn't, and it isn't the answer, but we would go a long way if we saw other people as just other people and not the enemy. Absolutely. To bring it back before we close to Guantanamo, would you care, dare, put a time on how long it will be before you think it finally will be history as an open camp? It will always be with those who are there. It's never going to go away, but at least it can be closed. You have said it can be closed. How long do you think it will take? I don't know how long it will take. I do believe it can be closed or changed. There's now some plea negotiations. They've been in the newspaper. The five people charged with the 9-11 case have started some plea negotiations, and they, as part of their negotiations, have said, according to the press, that they want to stay there because they have a communal system they've worked out. If they're going to be there the rest of their lives, they want to be together, not taken to some supermax prison where they'll be in solitary confinement. And so it may change into a military prison for those few people who are going to be there the rest of their lives, probably. But the rest of them, they can get out. I wish at the beginning of President Biden's term, I thought it would happen in the next couple of years. Now I'm more pessimistic, but we have to keep going. We have to keep working to make it happen and around the world too. And if there were one lesson that you would like those listening to this to take away or to reflect on from the 20, who knows, years of Guantanamo, what would it be? What should people really have learned from Guantanamo Bay? What should they, when they look at it, think on? Well, there are two things. Number one is lawyers. My answer is never give up. You don't know when it's going to happen, but you have to keep working. You have to keep going on every case until you get a good result, if you possibly can or the best you can. And the other thing is for us to all realize that this should never have happened in the U.S. The U.S. should never have gone through this particular tragedy. And again, I don't say we should look forward because entirely I think that suspected tortures should be prosecuted and 
the court should have to do that with all the due process to which they're entitled, but that's what the treaty requires. But we all have to be aware that these things can happen so quickly, so easily, that we all have to just have on our consciousness to not let it happen at the beginning and work so hard for that to be true in every country that, as Colonel Couch says, and as you just said, every human being should be treated with dignity. Thank you, Nancy. I think that's a good place to end. Thank you very much for your contribution and the conversation. Thank you, Malcolm. Excellent questions and excellent conversation. I appreciated it so much. If you've been inspired by the conversations in this podcast and want to find out more about the torture prevention work at the University of Bristol's Human Rights Implementation Centre and the role you could play as a researcher, as a student or as a potential partner, please use bristol.ac.uk slash research hyphen Guantanamo or the link in the podcast description to find out more about this work. Thank you.